Welcome to the Culture Happens podcast, where we discuss the future of work and company culture. My name is Emer Marinin, my pronouns are she, her, and I am the Director of Culture at HubSpot. For years, it's been said that the future of work is remote. In 2020, the future became reality as the world transitioned to working virtually. But I question whether it was the future we were envisioning. The challenge as we see it isn't about to return to normal. It's about navigating how to best support employees working remotely today while planning for a better future of work. And there is no better person to join me in this conversation than the amazing Laurel Farr, an internationally renowned remote work expert and industry thought leader. We had Laurel in for a hub talk back in 2019, and she really challenged us to reconsider how we were thinking about remote work at HubSpot. Then, of course, the global pandemic happened. And so I'm thrilled to have you back to hear what you've been working on today um, and what we should be thinking about as you know, companies consider remote work as a long term strategy. So, Laurel, welcome. I'm delighted to speak with you today. Uh, how are you doing today? Well, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. That's how I'm feeling. This is uh, always a pleasure to join the HubSpot team because there are such great conversations that come out of this collaboration. So yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to get to work with you. Awesome. I'm excited too. Um, so to start off, can you tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Well, sure. Um, I am a remote work expert and a virtual operations consultant. So um, what that has evolved into is that I am the CEO of Distribute Consulting, which is the world's foremost consulting firm specializing exclusively in remote work. Um, as you can imagine, that was a pretty small title uh, about a year ago, <laughs> but then also oh, yeah. about a year ago. Um, it's uh, It's been a very very busy year in which I am absolutely honored to be helping companies and governments and new products all over the world really understand what is remote work uh, and how do we leverage this? How do we really embrace this new change to define a new normal and uh, really bust a lot of blocks that were preventing our success previously um, and using virtual jobs as a solution. So we help design products, we help companies go through the change management process, we help old remote companies really optimize and re-strategize their operations, we help culture, we do all things remote work. So that's who I am. I'm just a big remote work nerd that loves having conversations <laughs> like this. <laughs> Oh my God, I love that. I mean, you literally are not uh, underestimating when you said that last year was seriously busy for you. I can actually only begin to imagine. Yeah, it, it, it was it was pretty crazy, but uh, happy to be on the other side of it and happy that it, the um, demand has now stabilized a little bit more. Great. So, I mean, you know that remote work isn't new for HubSpot and our culture code states that we've always believed that work isn't a place to go. It's a thing that we do. Um, but as someone who is an influencer and really a thought leader in this space, I'd actually love to know how did you find yourself in this area um, and what excites you about it, um, you know, as you continue to help grow so many other companies in, the, in this space? Mm. Yeah, well, my relationship with remote work has really gone through an evolution process, as you can imagine. I have been uh, managing remote friendly companies as an operations manager for 15 years. 
And so, you know, back in that day, it was, um, it was a strategy that my CEO and I adopted to help with the um, overhead costs and, and, you know, growth pains of, of a small business. And then uh, it took on a personal note when I had a family and I thought, oh, this is great. I get to be home with my family and have more flexibility over my schedule. I was able to finish um, my college degree as a non-traditional student because of the flexibility of my work. Uh, and then it just continued to evolve from there as I became an operations manager of larger companies and other industries. I'm saying, well, gosh, there's all of these overhead costs or, you know, there's less agility because... Uh, uh, because of what we're not doing, you know, we should consider this as an option. And, and so it really just evolved and to the point where um, I, as a COO was just saying the whole world should be doing this. <laughs> you know, all of the businesses that I was talking to and advising were really missing out on so many operational benefits uh, because they weren't willing to consider more flexibility in their workforce and workplaces. And so that's really when I became a large advocate of this is not just a, a fun decision mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, we're talking about sweatpants and we don't have to commute and yes. yeah, that's all well and fine, but this is a, a business strategy that we are missing out on as managers and executives because we're not willing to think progressively and innovatively. Um, and then even beyond that, there's massive socioeconomic benefits that we're not accessing as, as a community because we're not willing to adapt or innovate on tradition. So yeah, the more that I have gotten deep into the world of remote work and I live and breathe it every single day, the more that I, I just want the world to understand how many benefits we could access professionally, personally, and socially if we are willing to consider this long term. I love that. So much of what you said resonated. Like there was two things in particular that I loved. Your call out on flexibility and especially being a mom definitely I have two girls at home uh Evelyn and Fia are four and two and that's something that I found uh the silver lining throughout the pandemic that's been wonderful but then the socioeconomic benefit to the community I think is so powerful and one that we actually uh forget about so thank you for calling that out um just back on flexibility in particular it's actually interesting because as we considered our future work model uh we actually went out and asked our employees for feedback on how they wanted to work and actually the response was overwhelmingly in favor of that flexibility um, and that feedback feedback really did spark our new hybrid company model where now employees are asked to choose their work preference at the beginning of each year and Laurel, i'd love to hear about different paths that employers are now taking as it relates to the future of work so you know some are obviously going remote some are going hybrid and some haven't decided um, how are companies approaching that decision and how do you think companies should be thinking um, about this? You know, the case study that you just gave of HubSpot is actually pretty classic and standard for most organizations in this climate. Um, that once they conduct a an internal survey of some kind, um, or you know, hire consultants like us at Distribute to come in and, and conduct some focus groups and surveys to analyze what is the best option, that's exactly what happens. Is that the yeah. workforce, an average of seventy to ninety percent of the workforce, is saying 
I'm not interested in going back full time. We got to figure out a hybrid solution. Um, for a company to go 100% virtual and distributed within the space of a year, especially without prior planning and intention pre-COVID is pretty unrealistic. That is a very drastic change, uh, operationally speaking and culturally speaking for an organization. So we don't anticipate to see very many of those changes as uh, if at all. So yes, what we're seeing uh, by and large absolutely the majority of businesses are adopting a hybrid model. Now there's a lot of gray area in that, as you can yeah. imagine, you know, some companies are saying, all right, you could work remotely as needed. It, it's now a, a permanent contingency plan for emergencies. Others are saying, we just need you in the office a couple of days a week. Some people are saying we need you in the office a couple of days a month um, or a year. You know, there's uh, other companies that are saying whole departments are virtual, but other departments are physical. There's a whole lot of mixing and matching to the different models that exist. And then within that, you have a lot of layers of customization. So mm -hmm. you've got the model, but then you've got individual policy terms that create very unique experiences. And then within that, you also have virtual culture and, and the culture of the each company that makes it a very unique employee experience as well. So the, the big thing to understand about all of this is number one, remote work is here to stay. However, yeah. it's not remote work as a one size fits all solution. We're gonna see an infinite number of customizations of remote work and each company is going to have a unique virtual culture for their remote employees. Um, but it's also going to become so normal that it is just kind of going to cease to become a term at all. You know, remote work is not going to be this new novel thing anymore. I mean, the statistics as they stand right now are an a projection of about 40% of the United States workforce will continue to work remotely permanently post-COVID. And that's a minimum. So we're looking towards a reality in which almost the majority, at least half, um, if not the majority of the United States workforce will be working in this way. And so it's just going to be part of the normal and um, that's definitely going to mean that the companies that haven't intentionally come into mm. a hybrid work model are going to be forced to reconsider that for the sake of talent retention and attraction totally i think you're so right and i think what's so interesting uh, even looking at so many companies going through this transition is we've definitely seen great companies that are all remote like GitLab is one. So we obviously had Darren Murph in to speak internally. We're big fans of him. But I think what we haven't seen is hybrid companies that are kind of leading the charge. Um, I feel like everybody's going through the same thing right now. And so it's just, it's actually intriguing seeing all of this play out. And I mean, we're one of those companies right now that's making that transition. Um, have you seen anything, Laurel, that you think has worked really well? Um, as companies transition to a hybrid specifically, or also like things that companies have done that you're like, no, no, that is, <laughs> that shouldn't happen. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. <laughs> um, you know, I think the key of all of this is really 
the amount of intention that a company comes into this change management process, the more successful they will be. So if they are feeling backed into a corner and forced and they're saying, oh, okay, fine, you know, mm -hmm. here they download our, our free policy checklist or something and they just like whip out a policy and they say, here you go. I guess we're remote friendly now. Um, it's not going to do anybody any favors and they are certainly not going to access any of those corporate or socioeconomic benefits that um that we're talking about here um however if they come to it with intention and a lot of humility about we have a lot to learn and not just assume that oh well i guess you know we've all been working in different places for the past year, I guess we're a successful remote company now. Um, that's a massive mistake because this is not remote working. We haven't even touched virtual operations updates. Like this is, this is you haven't even scratched the surface of the change management that needs to happen. So the more that they can come into this saying, all right, we have a lot of work to do, but we're committed to it and we're here for it. Like teach us lead us, you know, what, what's next for us? We're excited. Um, the more that they will see the success and that that energy and buy-in will ripple effect into their workforce. And so overall, the change management process will, will be much smoother. So yeah, the short answer is just a lot of intentionality with a lot of humility, um, knowing that there's, there's a long road ahead of change management that needs to happen. I love that. And I found a quote from you, if you don't mind, if I read this out, because this just so hit home, Laurel, when I was reading this. Um, when I was reading your working sustainably article that you wrote in 2021, you said companies are still operating on that emergency bandage plan. As with any wound, a bandage should only be temporary. For complete healing, a thorough treatment plan is needed. And in the case of remote work, health can be restored when companies upgrade their temporary workplace flexibility plan into a comprehensive virtual organization model, which I just think completely hit home for me. And I think that's exactly what you were saying, that we are on that emergency bandage plan right now, and we, we really need to shift the focus. Absolutely. Yeah, we're dealing with things now that we we as remote work advocates and thought leaders have never dealt with before like this is everyone keeps saying that like oh this has got to be so easy for you because you've always been working from home i'm like uh yeah i've always been working from home have i ever been shopping from home learning from home teaching from home worshiping from home like, no this is crazy for me too like and and uh like in the um hubspot 2020 the remote work report uh, those statistics were reporting that uh people about 25 percent of people were were worried about their mental health and they were feeling stressed and burned out it's like look even if nothing changed with our workplace we would still be dealing with mental health concerns and feeling burned out because never have we had to worry about so many things at once i mean an international pandemic and social injustice yeah. and one of the most politically charged um elections in our nation's country and or in our uh, country's history and i mean all of these were emotionally mentally exhausting alone and then when you take into account this massive lifestyle change in addition to a massive professional change we are 
exhausted. We're burned out. Yeah. We're all out of our element. So we need to really, really recognize as a society and especially as business leaders, what is happening right now is not permanent nor sustainable. It shouldn't be. This isn't remote work. So what we're planning for now and what we're dealing with now is contingency plans and that then needs to evolve into change management processes. And then after that, that's when we get to think about what is remote work going to look like long-term? What do we want the virtual employee experience of our company to be long-term, permanently, sustainably? Because mm -hmm. that is a very different conversation than what do our people need right now in 2021? Yeah, totally. A hundred percent. And so what are some of the things that you would advise companies to think about as they think longer term and kind of as I think through that long term remote work strategy? Mm -hmm. So we have six pillars of what we call virtual health in within distribute consulting. And when we are conducting those virtual health analyses, we are evaluating what a company has done um, in that change management process in order to shift their operations from physical to virtual. And so we are measuring things not you know we're measuring things those pillars are called like culture and workplace and workforce and management compliance um, and infrastructure but we're not measuring you know the e efficacy of your tools or the optimization of your yeah. development program in general we're saying has there been a change are you thinking about talent acquisition in a new way? Are you thinking about interviewing and screening candidates in a new way? Are you, are you, have you been providing unique training as part of your learning and development program that is specific to remote work and the skills that are required for higher levels of autonomy? Have you updated your digital infrastructure in order to corral information in a new way for in a virtual office um, all of these things keep going and going and going like have you updated your com your compliance infrastructure like your remote work policy your employment laws your taxation infrastructure um, there's just so many things that need to be considered in order to create a virtual organization and that are different than what we are historically used to so when companies are falling into that trap of thinking, oh yeah, we're done. Like everybody's now at home. Yeah. So pick, you know, I guess that was our change management process. It's like, nope, you haven't yeah. even gotten started. There's a lot of things that you don't even know, right? Like, and not only that, but you don't know that you don't know because you've never worked remotely before. So you really need to work with consultants and experts that have been doing this for a long time that can tell you uh, where you are in that process of change management um, and, and yeah. getting all the way down into yeah, what tools are you using? How are you using them? How are your people engaged with those tools? It just, it's a, it's a big, big process. It's a big process. And I think the really funny thing is there is, a train of thought that this is going to go away and i think what people are forgetting is that you have to separate the pandemic with the future of work and they are really you know one has kind of caused the other but they actually are two separate things and exactly like you said this is now setting ourselves up sustainably for for the long term and organizations really have to get ahead of that like because again what we're going to be dealing with in two three years time is different to what we're thinking about and dealing with now for sure
Absolutely. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch upon, because you spoke about the tools and technology that we should be thinking about, and uh, something that we're really working on improving at HubSpot right now is how we communicate. Um, and interestingly, in the remote, remote work report that you referenced, 39% um, said better tools and platforms uh, to communicate and collaborate would have improved their transition to remote work. Um, and so what advice do you have for companies who want to improve their practices? Um, and how do you think about a company's operating system as it actually relates to communicating and collaborating? And we're going to be all ears right now, because like I said, it's definitely something that we're focusing on, <laughs> focusing on right now. So we need to learn for sure. Right. So there's a couple of different layers to the answer to this question. Um, one is that offices were boundaries for time and for geographic space. Um, so often when people think, oh, when we leave the office, there are, are no boundaries, right? Like every, it's just a big free for all. And it's like, whoa, it's completely inaccurate. In fact, because it feels like such a free for all, we actually need more boundaries than we did before. However, we're not drawing boundaries around the same thing. We're drawing boundaries around information. So we need to make sure that information is corralled and shared and managed so much more carefully than it ever was in an office because it can go anywhere. You know, we, the internet is our office and there's a lot of different places in the, in yeah. the internet. So we need to make sure that we are really, really carefully considering how we are sharing information. Um, again, part of that shift and, and the part, the second part of the answer is thinking about how we share information. So in an office, there was a lot of traditional communication channels that we took for granted. There was um, observation as a communication channel, um, environmental cues and contextual cues, mm -hmm. nonverbal communication, those were all existing without us ever intentionally creating them. And so when we take those away from our work environment, it doesn't mean that they're gone forever. It just means that we need to replace them in a different way. And so the communication channels that we do have access to, like video calls and written communication, like handbooks and policies, they become all the more important because we rely on them more for communicating all of the different things that we used to with observation and context. So we really lean into those very heavily to um, help troubleshoot problems and to help um, provide uh, critical thinking resources asynchronously because, you know, I'm your manager, but I may not be available at this time. I'm not going to be a, a knock away in my office. So I'm going to write down a bunch of uh, FAQs okay. for my team in the handbook and you can access it anytime. We just have to think about communication in a much, much different way. And um, I like to say, I swear it's going to be in my gravestone someday, um, that in remote work over communication is just communication. Because yes. we're used to verbal communication being farther down the priority list, right? But now it's got to be bumped up to number one. So we have to be so much more proactive transparent, consistent, mm -hmm. vulnerable in our communication than we're used to because nobody's going to see 
all of those other channels of us, you know, being angry and walking out of the room or yes. crying at our desk or, you know, having a furrowed brow. Nobody's going to see that. So we have to be self-aware enough to identify what our needs are and then proactively communicate. Hey, I have something awesome that just happened that I want to celebrate with my team members or I have a question, I need help, or I am feeling like I'm in a total slump, I need somebody to help me break through this barrier, or whatever. We have to identify and then raise our hand and proactively solve the problem and communicate what our needs are so much more than we're used to. Definitely, because I think the worst thing that can happen is if you were on like we've all been there being on a video call the call doesn't end so well the person isn't proactive in terms of how they're communicating the call ends and you're just left in a room on your own you've nobody to turn to to have a conversation with and actually everything after that is so much more intentional than it would have been if you were together so i think that the intentional piece there and being really thoughtful around what communication looks like is so important i always think nobody should ever have to be their own coach and so we need to help folks not be their own coach right now, which is so important. Mm -hmm. um, just kind of flipping it a little bit, I think almost linked to that, one of the challenges that we hear a lot from leaders and other organizations is how to keep employees engaged right now. And I heard you speaking about your four E's. Um, and I'd love if you don't mind sharing with our listeners what those four E's are and how they can help with engagement, if that's okay. Yeah. I'm going to need a hot second to remember. And I, I actually have them here. This is like <laughs> part of my Laurel stalking situation. Clearly I'm a big fan girl over here. So it was empathy, expectations, environment, and emotion. Um, and maybe even the better question for you, Laurel, is what really leaders um, and people managers should think about right now as they try and keep employees engaged and as they really focus on employee engagement. Mm -hmm. well, well, thank you for refreshing me. Those sound great. Whoever said those was a genius. <laughs> uh, I obviously don't put too much uh, thought and time into my LinkedIn video. Um, no, I, I talk about these often, but obviously not often enough. But um, when we're talking about engagement, this is it's very much relevant to what we've been talking about, right? Like we just have to think about. Uh, how we interact in this virtual business world in a different way. So many people are caught up on, oh, it's not the same. It's not the same. It's not the same in a very negative way. And it's like, you're right. It's not the same. And like, okay, so what? Like, it's not the same, but does that mean that we're missing out on something? Or does it just mean that it's different? You know, like if I eat a bowl of pasta or if I eat some sushi, like those are both delicious and I'm going to enjoy both of them, but they are different. So we just have to think about them in different ways to be able to optimize them in, in different ways. Um, so yeah, people are, are really fighting the Zoom fatigue right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're just in meeting after meeting yeah. after meeting after meeting. And, um, but we had the same problem in the office, right? We were still spending eight hours in the same environment in the office. We just figured out how to differentiate experiences enough to create an ebb and flow in our day. And so it didn't feel quite as stagnant. And so that's exactly what we need to do and can do virtually as well as 
let's create an ebb and flow in our day to create a diversity of virtual experiences. So the ways that we can do that are those four E's that you mentioned, um, which I now have written down. Um, <laughs> but um, the first is, is that empathy. Like, let's just create that empathy for ourselves and for other people of what is going on in their day you know how are they coming to a meeting and if you're saying like hey i need your full attention here um think about what's happening on either end of that meeting um we just did a big presentation um in our consulting firm a couple of days ago and we uh almost canceled because we were this was a massive presentation that we with a whole executive team it was a big rollout with like okay we're telling you what your entire policy is going to be this is you know the culmination of of three months of research and development and then we found out that they were going to be coming to that meeting after five straight hours of calls of, oh. and, and presentations and we were like there's no way that yeah. they're bringing with us like what they're hungry they're tired like that's ridiculous so yeah just having some empathy for people of like how are they feeling what's going on in their life outside of the screen um and just helping that will help you to create that experience as well um and not just taking for granted their uh you know what we can't see so anyway so empathy is number one um and then the the <laughs> You're gonna have to tell me experience. No, what was Ex the second one? Ex expectations. expectations. <laughs> That's so. This is, you should be I can giving be your, this presentation. I can be not me. Your, I'll just be your cheerleader. It's all good. <laughs> You're hired. You. Um, <laughs> yeah. So setting those expectations, also, I think is the most important in in of all of these four E's of engagement, yeah. right? Because you're saying you're creating those different experiences before they even get to those experiences. So, you know, is this a, a one to one that you're like, hey, we need to talk about your performance, like come to this a little bit nervous mm -hmm. and like we we have to have a very serious talk. Um, that's going to be a very different energy, a very different headspace than a virtual happy hour that we're like, hey, we're celebrating Sunny's birthday, you know? So we need to set those expectations of like, what kind of experience is this intended to be? And how should you show up? And what preparation is needed from you in order to get the most out of this meeting? Um, so then totally. uh, the, yeah, so then emotion or um, the environment is also part of that. Like, how are you creating a virtual environment? You know, we, we did this in the office, right? A one-to-one -one would be in the boss's office, but a group collaborative call would be in the break room. Like a party is in the break room, but a, a group meeting is in the conference room, right? Like yeah. we strategize our environments and we can do the same thing here. Like even though, yes, we're in a Zoom room, are there different tools that we can be using to create different experiences? Um, you know, do you want people to, wear different clothes to get in a, into a different mood? Do you, like, what can be done to switch things up to help set the tone? And then within all of that, bringing emotion, actually setting the tone in that experience to be like, hey, look, I'm in a good mood. I'm happy, I'm excited. As a facilitator, I'm gonna be like, yeah, Emer, that's a great idea. Let's keep riffing on that, as opposed to, Emer, that's a great idea. Let's have a one-to-one -one about that leader. Let's stay on track. 
you know, like there's totally yeah. different emotions that we can bring to the table to help other people understand what emotion to mirror. Definitely. I'm even feeling those two there, like a hundred percent. It can make or break a conversation. Yeah. Um, you said something really interesting when you were going through that this concept of virtual experiences and you mentioned earlier on uh, virtual culture and I think one of the things that we're hearing a lot about right now is the misconception that is coming with this concept of a virtual culture and I think what a lot of organizations have done is oh hey we're just going to uh, replicate everything by adding a zoom link and that's actually a great way to create a culture in a virtual world and what I think people don't understand is what culture actually is and what culture isn't and how culture is really fundamental to your values and your behaviors as an organization. I think I heard you even referencing culture is your personality. And that is something that we speak to at our heart at HubSpot. And so I would love to hear your perspective on how employers should reframe their thinking right now as it relates to culture and really what an organization should do to build and maintain a strong culture in either a hybrid or remote work environment. You know, it, I, I'm not sure where we went wrong as a I know. business world to like I, really completely misunderstand what the word culture means. I mean, to, like you're literally preaching to the choir right now. Like, totally. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting. But I, when I heard you uh, speak to that, it was so insightful because it's so important to really bring culture back to those basics. I think if a, if a company doesn't, they run risk of actually having the wrong values and behaviors there in the first place. So yeah, I'm just, I'm so yes. interested to hear you speak a little bit more about that. Absolutely, you know, um, you know, the word culture originally before we adopted it in the business world was we were talking about uh, geographic cultures, right? Like yeah. international cultures. And were we ever saying like, oh, I went to Thailand and they have such a great culture because they have ping pong tables there. Like, no, like what? Like, what did the culture become about like the toys they have? Like, no, a culture is the unique experience that you have because you are interacting with that element, right? That that brand or those people or whatever. Um, it's it's that unique experience that you can't find anywhere else. And so, yes, in international cultures, that means their food, their language, their um, their their clothing, their architecture, like it's a very sensory experience because it emo evokes a lot of emotions that you really start to associate with that place. Like, oh, that's how I felt there. Um, now, fast forward to us adopting it in the business world and it's like, oh, we have a cereal bar. And it's like, wait, what? Like, is that ever going to evoke an emotional response? Is that ever yeah. going to resonate with people and, and create impactful memories? No. Uh, so we really need to take a, a big step back and think about what, where is our culture coming from as an organization? And at Distribute, we talk a lot about how that culture is really at the core, your mission, your vision, and your values. And if you use that as the core and then start to build your policy terms around that, about your remote work policy, and you're talking about virtual employee experience and you're building out from there, it makes a lot more sense. Um, and so you can say, all right, what are our values and how are people going to 
impact and, and um, experience our values on a daily basis, no matter where they are? How are our clients going to know what those values are that yes. we stand for them? Yeah. How do we activate them in our marketing? Um, how do we just let people know that we live and breathe our mission, our vision, and our values? How can they experience those and witness them and appreciate them in a very memorable way, no matter where they're located. Uh, so yeah, thinking about virtual culture is really no different than thinking about physical culture in the right way. Um, it's just thinking about how are we going to interact? How are people going to remember our brand? How are they going to have a memorable experience with our brand? Because the more that we articulate that and, de and define that in a very unique way, the more that we will naturally attract people, like we will attract talent that resonates with, I just want to work here because I really value the mission that you have and the values that you have in your culture are the same as my own. I think we would be a great match and you'll just naturally be screening and sourcing culture match talent. Um, but then you're also going to be attracting the same clients and that's going to impact your sales and marketing cycles. Like it really has such profound impact on operational efficiency. Um, but we have to be willing to really define what is this and how can it be experienced in a virtual business world just as much as we had in a physical business world. Totally. Um, and I think the really sad thing is when companies don't do that, we see things, we see almost companies and having a culture crisis. And one of the things that was just, it's, it's horrifying seeing is in December where we saw 140,000 people leave the workplace in the US and every single one of them were women. And I think where people are, you know, where companies go wrong is the solve for that is by giving you know, caregivers and women time off, but ultimately that's a perk. And the problem there is a system that's supporting those women and those caregivers is wrong. So those values and the behaviors that are driving those companies, that's where the focus should be. And I, I do think that's what's gonna make or break a ton of organizations this year for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, Laurel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, it was just such a pleasure to get this time with you. I could literally keep talking to you. I was going to say, I'm like, oh, so much longer. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I could keep you for much longer, but I'm very conscious of your diary. Um, but I do have one final question, if you don't mind. If it's, of course. This is like a short and snappy one. So uh, we referenced uh, at the beginning of our conversation <clears throat> people's mental health, and we definitely know that the sense of burnout that people are feeling uh, right now is real. Um, and I would love to get your perspective or even like your one or two top tips on what's the key to mental health and wellness when remote working. Yeah, this all boils down to work-life balance. Um, and that balance requires boundaries. So uh, we have to be willing to be self-managers in remote work. And, and obviously we think of that independence and autonomy on the professional side that we need to be responsible for prioritizing our tasks and providing intrinsic motivation so that we're getting our work done without supervision. But this also applies to our personal lives as well. We have to be willing to set boundaries for ourselves and communicate that to our team. I am not going to respond to emails after six o'clock. I am absolutely, I am not going to start my day until I go for a walk outside. I am um, going to 
absolutely have a one hour lunch break every day and I'm going to spend it with my family and I'm not going to be on, on slack dirt in the meantime, yeah. you know, like really setting those boundaries for ourselves and enforcing them with discipline. And it is so hard. I mean, I've been working from home for 15 years. I still struggle with this on a daily basis. So I'm not trying to make it sound easier or like put anybody into the headspace of like, what's wrong with you? Like you can't stop working at five o'clock. Like, no, neither can anybody else in the world right now. Like we're stressed, we're burned out. We're trying, like we're all in a variety of coping mechanisms. Um, and a lot of that is overworking or underworking. So yeah, like this is a problem for everybody. The, the, the tip for myself that I have found helps the very, very most is not only drawing those lines in terms of time and space, like only working in a certain place or, um, you know, setting an alarm for myself and dropping all work when that alarm goes off, whether I like it or not, but also really leaning into the balance concept of work-life yes. balance, right? Like if we're deep diving into our work and we are just totally immersed and focused and all in during the workday. And then we just kind of unplug and watch Netflix for the rest of the night. There's no way that we're ever going to feel balanced. We have to be willing to deep dive into our personal life as much as we do into our professional life in order for it to feel balanced. We've got to immerse ourselves in hobbies and relationships and, um, you know, personal passions and research. Like we have to develop our personal life just as much as we do our professional life in order to find that balance. But that is... I think so insightful because we spend so much time thinking about how to change our work behaviors and really like shift up our day as it relates to work to help us. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about the relationship with our personal life at all, actually. And so that's definitely a tip that I'm going to take. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will too. Um, so thank you again. It really was such a pleasure and an honor um, talking to you today. Thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Culture Happens, HubSpot's podcast all about the future of work um, and company culture.